And I had uh, Eric read this scripture, John 8, 34. Uh, and I picked that out for a reason. Because the topic we're going to be looking at this morning, <coughs> excuse me, the topic we're going to look at this morning is we're continuing this view of these moral issues that face Christians today. Uh, is a very controversial topic. It's a topic that probably carries with it more, more strife. It carries with it a lot of emotions. And, and we need to remember, as John 8.34 says, that all who are in sin are enslaved to sin. And we'll get more to that in a minute. But as we talk about our topic this morning of homosexuality, I want us to remember that, that passage of John 8 and verse 34. The truth is homosexuality is, is now an, an acceptable and an alternative lifestyle which is becoming ever the more prevalent. There was a time when we could say that, that homosexuality was, was becoming acceptable, but in today's age, it is, it is evident that it is accepted by the government. It is accepted by many denominations. It is accepted by the, the world as a whole. Equal rights have been granted to, to practice and promote the lifestyle. <coughs> And as I said, there are denominations, there are churches, there are priests, there are ministers who would classify themselves and engage themselves in this sort of activity, in this sort of lifestyle, and in, in these choices. And even there are cities and vacation resorts. There are whole areas and businesses that, that <laughs> cater to openly displaying this sort of behavior, to try and gain acceptance, to try and show their, their position towards uh, this this lifestyle. So it's something that I see is certainly something that confronts us. It's something that is right in front of us, something that we are going to have to prepare ourselves uh, to, to face this issue. And some take a stance that maybe is too light. Maybe sometimes t people take a stance and they question whether it is wrong or not. And there's, there's countless arguments that have been made uh, both ways. And we'll look at some of those this morning. And others react. They, they, maybe they take a stance that is too strong. They react in ways that are... <coughs> excuse me, I apologize. They react in ways that are unbecoming of a Christian. And that's what I really want to look at this morning. As we look at this issue that we are faced with. Is this is not an issue that, that just we are faced with as people of the world. This is an issue that we are faced with as Christians, and as Christians, how should we react to this issue? Now, as we've done with each of these issues, we must first look to the Word of God. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, what does the Bible say? If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles back to Genesis. <clears throat> Genesis, the 18th chapter. In Genesis, the 18th chapter, we're going to see what the Bible says in the patriarchal age about homosexuality. In Genesis 18 and verse 20, we read uh, of, of the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah. In chapter 18 and verse 20, we read, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. The people of these cities, the people of these cities were, were guilty of a very grave sin, as it says here. And in Genesis 19, just the next chapter over, Verse 4 and 5 is going to tell us that it was all of the city. It was the, is the men young and old. It says in verse 4, Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. 
They would later be described in, in Jude chapter 7 as, as people who have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. There's no doubt what was going on here. <clears throat> There's no doubt what was going on here in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, there has been countless attempts to try and change what the Bible says about Sodom and Gomorrah. One of those is, is found in Ezekiel 16 and verse 49. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49. Many people have claimed that Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of a, a, a homosexual uh, behavior, but rather because of hospi uh, not having hospitality. In Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49, we read, Look, this with the iniquity of your sister, sister Sodom, she and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor, and the needy. Many people have turned to this passage to, to try and fight against those who would say that, that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of their, their uh, sinfulness and homosexuality. And they would say, look, this Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of that. They were destroyed because they didn't care for the poor. They were destroyed because they, they, were, they were prideful. They were destroyed because they were selfish. And the answer to that is, yeah, that's, that's part of the reason why they were destroyed. There was a lot of things going on. Just because Ezekiel points out more uh, of, the, of the story doesn't change what Genesis pointed out. But even more likely, though, is that what was talked about in Ezekiel was, was actually not Sodom and Gomorrah at all, but actually Amnon and Moab, which were represented by Sodom. We, we see that Sodom was destroyed some 1,500 years before Ezekiel says these words. More than likely, he was not talking about the city. But even if he was... It only means that he was adding to what was said in, in Genesis. He was adding to the words that, that there was more going on than just this sinful behavior. It tells us how deeply they were ingrained in this depravity. What well, it shows us in these first couple of chapters in, uh, in the, of the Bible in Genesis, it shows us that in the patriarchal age, and from the very beginning, the, the sin of homosexuality was a grave <clears throat> sin. It was a serious sin. Sin And God looked at it in such a way that he destroyed uh, two whole cities because of it. But moving on from there, we're going to see in the Mosaical Age <coughs> that he still had a, a, a view against homosexuality that was best described as an abomination in Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18 and in, in verse 22 through 23. Where we read, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And abomination just means it is disgusting to the Lord. It is, it is something that he views as a, as a disgusting act. And, and he just, it's really a really hard way of saying, I don't like this at all. It's a much stronger way of saying that. So it is an abomination. <clears throat> nor shall you mate with, you, with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any, th with any of these things. For by all these things the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. <clears throat> There's two things I want to note here. The law of Moses made homosexuality a capital crime. It was something that was punishable by death. It was an abomination. It was linked together with bestiality. But notice in verse 24 and in verse 25. Uh, we didn't read verse 25. We'll read that now. For the land is defiled, therefore, uh, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. What he was saying to the people of Israel is the reason 
I am casting these people out of their land is because of this sin. This sin of homosexuality, this sin of this depravity that, this, that the land was, in, was involved in is the reason I'm casting these nations out. I'm driving them out. And it's a warning to you that the same could happen to you if you don't carefully remember my words as he would later, uh, <coughs> as he would later uh, instruct them. And then in Leviticus 20 and verse 13, we see that it is indeed punishable by death under the old law. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, fast forwarding a little bit for the Mosaical age, what we oftentimes hear, and, and I want to address it now instead of in the next uh, section, but what we oftentimes hear is Christ never said anything about homosexuality. Christ never said a word about it. We, we hear the, uh, maybe it's in the old law, but we're not under the old law. And we'll hear what Paul said a lot about it, but Christ never said anything about it. But I want to suggest to you that that's, that's not entirely true. You see, Jesus lived under the law of Moses. Colossians 2.14 tells us that it didn't end until his death on the cross. Turn with me over to Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look in verse 17 through, through 19. In Matthew 5, verses 17 through 19, we read Jesus' words, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, uh, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. While in force, while Jesus was alive under the old law, he taught strict observance to the law. He didn't come and he didn't say that there was parts of it he didn't approve of and parts of it he did. He talked a strict observance to all of the old law. And therefore Jesus, through his observance of the old law, showed that he approved of what the old law would have taught even about things such as homosexuality. And so again, we can see in the Mosaical age, in the age of, of uh, of the children of Israel and of the nation of Israel, the, the sin of homosexuality was a capital crime. And now I want to look a little bit at the, at the Christian age. As it was written to the Christians in Rome, in, in Romans 1 and verse 24 through 27, that it was a vile passion. We'll look over there. Romans chapter 1. In verse 24, where you read, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving their natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error. Which is due. So again, we see that that homosexuality, whether it be between a male or a female, homosexuality was described as a vile passion. Again, it has that same idea that it was an abomination. It was disgusting to the Lord. It was described as something that was against nature. And it was later described as something that was shameful. Going on in 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to see... We're going we're gonna to see that what was written to the, uh, the church there in Corinth. 
1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9 through 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. <clears throat> it's important to note here, and it's important to remember, that the apostle who, who gave these words to the church at Corinth was an inspired apostle of Jesus Christ. And he condemned this behavior as to such that it would cause one to not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul here uses two terms, and we're not going to go into great detail about these terms. But in talking about homosexual conduct, he has two terms, malikos and arsenikoites. I probably said that last one wrong. But, um, <clears throat> and these two terms are found here in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, homosexuals nor sodomites. And all that simply means is so many people have tried to, to define these words as to something else that could possibly explain why their behavior is okay. Ultimately, what these words meant in their, in their form and the culture of that day meant one was a passive partner and one was an active partner. And, and I think we can all understand what that means. So also, Paul also wrote to the evangelist Timothy in 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1 and verses 9 through 11 saying, knowing this, that the law is not made for, the right, for a righteous person, <coughs> excuse me, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, if there is any other thing that is contrary to the sound doctrine. So again, in this list, Paul uses this term, arsenicoites, which is, again, just those who practice homosexuality, those who are the, the active partners. And, and he uses this term in, in, in a list of sins that are contrary to sound doctrine. And we look at some of the things that are in this list with it, the, the ungodly, insubordinate, the murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, manslayers, kidnappers, liars, perjurers fornicators. This is a list of those that are, that are against sound doctrine and homosexuality is right there with it. And the Bible is very clear throughout every dispensation. It is very clear that homosexual, homosexual conduct is just is likened to any other form of sexual immorality and it's clearly condemned. Now, as I was talking earlier, I, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on, on this side of the topic. I think it's very important for us to understand that homosexuality is condemned, that homosexuality is wrong, but I think most of us probably have a pretty good handle on that. We probably have a pretty good idea that what God says about homosexuality, but I think it's important for us also to understand what the world thinks about homosexuality and to understand, more importantly than that, how we are to react to what the world thinks and how we are to react to those, react to those who are involved in this sin. So the next thing I want to look at is what causes homosexuality. And that's this idea that, that is oftentimes brought up in the world when they talk about homosexuality. They say, well, it's either nature or it's nurture. Those are the two terms that often come up. And, and in the simplified form of that is either you're born that way or you're a product of your raising. That is to say that homosexuality could be the result of one's genetic nature. That's uh, genetic makeup. That's the idea of, of nature. Many will actually use this say, to say God made me this way. God made me a homosexual. 
Now, I would like to prove or show that there's not been any definitive studies that prove homosexuality is genetic. There's not been a single study that proves that. There's been many stories uh, verified by, by re reputable news agencies, but oftentimes they are covered with a bias towards those uh, that are conducting the studies. And the thing is, if God gave, if God gave us a reproductive organ, and he made them for a heterosexual relationship, homosexuality tendencies thus implies that there are, there are psychological issues and not physical issues. We, when we look at this and say it's the way we were born, it's the way that God made us, we can understand that it wasn't the way he made us physically if this is the, if this is the argument we are going to use. It wasn't the way he made us physically. It must have been something in our psyche. And so I want to bring up a, a study that was done of identical twins. It was done by a doctor named Michael Bailey of the Northwestern University. And what he did was he took identical twins and he proved that genetics alone does not account solely by itself for gender preferences. He took 110 pairs of identical twins who had been separated at birth and raised in different environments. And in this, he found that if one, tw one twin chose to become homosexual, chose to be gay, there was a 52% chance that the other one would as well. There was a 52% chance. What that says is it was half and half. There was nothing showing it was certain that it was going to happen. There was nothing showing that it was certain that it wasn't going to happen. And I think we should note that identical twins are not just physically the same. Identical twins genetically are alike. So if homosexuality was a genetic, they would have the same genetic makeup, they would have the same gender preferences. So that 48% who are not gay confirms that genetics alone, genetics alone does not cause homosexuality. Nature alone does not explain homosexuality. And so some people turn the opposite and say, and instead of saying God made me this way, some people go, well, then it must be nurtured. It must be a, a uh, <coughs> excuse me, it must solely re be something that is tied back to the environment that you were raised in. And so we see this argument form, God made me this way, versus this is your choice. This is your choice. It is simply the choice of one's behavior. But I want to point out also against this, that the evidence suggests that it's a much more complex combination of factors than simply a choice. There are some genetic favors that are factors that, that go into this, uh, into this temperament or excuse me, that go into this decision. For example, a melancholy temperament. This is oftentimes a common factor in those who, who become homosexual. <clears throat> Another one is those uh, uh, that, that have environmental factors such as the lack of a healthy parent. Maybe the father was never there. The father was very abusive. Maybe the mother was, was uh, smothering and, and all these different things do, through studies, they do show that they tend to be a part of this decision. And we, we do well not to ignore these things. These genetic environmental factors, although can often be quite adverse. Let, there are people who would grow up in these sort of activities or these sort of environments and they'd grow up and they'd choose to live a homosexual lifestyle. But at the same time, there are people who grow up in these same exact families, these same exact environments, and they choose not to be homosexual. So again, nature on its own doesn't show that, that it can, and contributes uh, solely by itself and the idea that God made me this way. And nurture on its own doesn't show 
that by itself that explains homosexuality. Sinful behavior, I want to point out, is not always just a simple choice. Especially once one becomes enslaved to sin. That's why we talked about that. That's why I had Eric read that verse. Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Homosexuality is an addiction. Homosexuality is no different than lying, as, as we read in Timothy here. Homosexuality is no different than perjury. It's no different than fornication. It is listed right there with, with the unholy, the, the profane, the murderers. We must remember that homosexuality is a sin, but it's a sin that enslaves. It is a sin that traps. And we must never, we must never be uh, of the attitude that we can look at someone who is in sin and say, and say that your sin is worse than my sin. Your sin stinks worse than my sin. We must remember that we ourselves have been enslaved to sin. And that, that we, thankfully, to the grace of God and through the mercy of God, have seen, uh, at least I pray, we have seen the errors that we have made. And we are constantly working for this. So when we see someone who is, in homo is trapped in the homosexuality or the sin of homosexuality, we need to be sympathetic towards that. And that's what I, I really want to focus on the remainder of our time. What should a Christian's response be to homosexuality? And I think the first thing we should all be striving to do is we should be striving to share the truth. The truth of the gospel. Ephesians 4, <clears throat> if you want to turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20 through, through verse 24 says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which is created, created according to God in true righteousness and in holiness. When we say this, we must hold fast to the truth that is in Jesus. What we are saying is we must... We must, when we share the truth of the gospel with those who are in homosexuality, yes, we must remember that, that it is more than just a simple choice. There's more that goes into it than that. But we also must remember that we can't just say nothing. We can't just excuse it. We must speak what the Bible, said, what the Bible has to share with them. We must, as 2 Timothy 4, 2-4 through 4 says, we must, we must preach the word. You want to turn over there. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2 through 4. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself what it is when what you're actually saying to someone who's really involved in any sin, but especially the, the sin of homosexuality, when you tell them that, that they have made this choice and they need to turn from it and they need to, to live this other life, have you ever really stopped and thought of what that actually is saying to that person? Have you ever thought, tried to put yourself in their shoes for a moment and thought your whole way of life, if someone came to you and said everything that you're doing, everything that you believe in, your, your person and your life that you love so much, it's all wrong. That's hard. That's a really hard thing to say to someone. And what Tim, what Peter, excuse me, what Paul, I'll get it out in a minute. What Paul was telling Timothy here 
was you can't back down from those hard things to say. You can't back down, but you do have to say them in a certain way. You have to say it with long-suffering. You have to be patient. You have to be prepared to work with that person. And it may be politically incorrect, but you must do so with love and you must do so without compromising the truth. But you, like I said, you must do so in a display of the love of the gospel. Back in Ephesians 4, just a few verses before what we read in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love may grow up to all things to him who is the head, Christ. <clears throat> we do have this duty to speak the truth in love. That's something that, that in the world today, in the so-called Christians, I, I use that quote because you know, I, I don't, don't know exactly where what they believe and what they, what they stand for. But, but those who claim to be Christians, who go onto social media, who go onto the news, who, who form rallies and, and protest funerals, and they do so much to tell the truth that, that homosexuality is a sin, and they neglect the love of the gospel. This should affect how we approach someone who's in sin. Again, back over in 2 Timothy, this time in 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24 through 26. <clears throat> and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Let us remember that it is a captivity. When we see someone who is engaging in this activity, let us not look at them as someone who is, is openly defying the Lord and is our adversary and we need to strike them down. Let's look at them as someone who is blinded by the, by the devil, someone who is trapped in that snare. Let us look at them as a soul that God has called us to save. Let us tell the truth to them, but let us tell it in a way that's not going to turn them into our enemy. Let us to speak them the truth in love. You know that line that we always hear, hate the sin, not the sinner. I think we should take it one step farther and say that we hate the sin, but we love the sinner. Make sure that we have that attitude in our approach when we go to someone. Because as I said, when we were going to them and we were telling someone this hard truth, it's going to devastate them. As it should. As any time that we discover that our, life is not, our lives are not in junction with what the Lord says our lives should be, that should be devastating to us. And it's going to be hard. And what are they going to feel at that time? They're probably going to feel hopelessness. If you've ever talked to someone, especially there, there is a whole community of, of the so-called Christian homosexuals. If you've ever known them, if you've ever talked to them, the pain that they feel, a lot of times they are not a happy person until finally they just come to this conclusion that they are accepted and, and, and they blind themselves to the truth. But they are not happy and they struggle they are without hope. They, I, I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing several that will say, you know, in, in that time of my life, when I was struggling with this decision and I was fighting against this, I felt like ending it all. I didn't feel like it was worth living to know all these things that, that I truly loved and that I was not supposed to have. We need to make sure that we are offering the hope of the gospel whenever we talk to people like this. As 1 Corinthians 6, we read verses 9 through 10, talked about all those things that, <clears throat> that would keep one from inheriting the kingdom of God. But how did it end? In verse 11, 
says, and such were some of you. To these people he was talking to. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There's hope in that. There's hope there. That yes, it's a lot of stuff that you're told to give up. It's hard to deny yourself. But there is a sanctification. There is a setting apart. There is something greater waiting for you if you will truly follow this. Maybe the, the fruit of the spirits is a good way for us to go with that. We see those in Galatians 5. We'll turn over <coughs> and look at that. In Galatians 5, in verse 16 through, through 25. We read, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the, fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, those that are, that are truly addicted, those who are, are ingrained into this homosexual behavior, and say, I don't know if I can get out of that. I don't know if I can turn my life away from that. That is my life. That, those are the, the people that I love, and I don't know if I can leave that. What the Bible says is if you walk in the Spirit, you, can, you, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as, I was, just as I also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. <clears throat> but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This is a good thing for us to remember when we are trying to give someone that hope. That God has given us a way to do these incredibly hard things. If we will just simply put our hope and faith in Him through the love that He shows in His gospel. He has given us these things like the, like the fruits of the Spirit to help us walk towards a more hopeful life. But let's not just leave it at that. After we've shared with them the truth of the gospel, after we've displayed the love of the gospel, after we've offered them the hope of the gospel, let's also be there to bear that burden. That's going to be hard as we've already talked about. And let's be there to help that person. Jesus both taught sinners and he led sinners to the way of righteousness. Shouldn't his disciples be doing the same thing? Paul's instructions to the, to the Galatians, again here in verse uh, in chapter 6, just down a few verses. In verse 1 and 2, this does very good for us to serve as a beginning for our efforts. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. <clears throat> Homosexuality today in America, in this world, is a volatile issue. It is a politically charged issue, which makes it even harder to discuss. And opposition to it, <clears throat> anytime that one is opposed to it, it's oftentimes depicted as someone who is hateful, 
someone who is a bigot, someone who is homophobic or narrow-minded. And the challenge confronting Christians today, for some it is, it is confronting this act of homosexuality. But the bigger challenge to most Christians today is how we respond to this sin. How we respond to those who are, who are involved in this sin. Not necessarily the sin itself. We should, as Galatians 6, and make sure that we uh, consider ourselves lest we also be tempted. But we, the, the challenge that we have for one another is that we do the first part of that. That we seek those who are overtaken in a trespass and we try to restore them. Too many are hateful. Too many are homophobic. And that's wrong. And that increases the likelihood of persecution. We must be faithful to the scriptures. We must be faithful to the example of Jesus and to his apostles who reached out to all sinners and displayed the love, the promise of forgiveness, and the hope of transformation. As Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and fallen short. Always remember that, that before you throw that stone, before you look at another one and say, well, at least I'm not like that homosexual. At least I'm not like that uh, fornicator. At least I'm not like that sexually immoral person. Remember that you yourselves have fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks to the loving mercy and grace of our dear Lord, we do have the gift of eternal life. This morning, I, I, I truly hope that as we've considered how we would maybe approach someone in our lives, maybe somebody we know that might be dealing with this, we've thought of that. I hope also that we've considered our own salvation this morning. And I hope we considered those words to Paul, uh, excuse me, Paul's words to the Corinthians. Such were some of you. If you desire the cleansing, if you desire that sanctification and justification that comes only through Christ Jesus, through the washing uh, that we receive through baptism, through His blood, then I would encourage you this morning to please come forward now as we stand and sing some 330, Just As I Am.